I've told some of you this story before, but I'll tell it for the benefit of those of you that haven't heard it. Um, there's a couple um, that are part of the Hastings venue, and uh, they started coming back in September. She'd been a Christian for a number of years, um, but, but he'd never made a profession of faith in Christ. Um, they'd been coming along. They enjoyed being with us. Um, and they did an alpha with us in January, and uh, the alpha went really well. He, um, I think, enjoyed it, found it interesting, but didn't, didn't make that step, didn't make that decision to follow Jesus, hadn't quite um, got, got to that point. Um, and then there was one time, probably about a month ago now, I've been telling the story for a little while, um, so it's probably getting longer and longer, uh, he, he had a dream, and uh, in this dream, uh, uh, one of the guys from the church appeared to him in the dream. And uh, um, uh, uh, he, he, said to, he said to this guy from the church, he said, uh, um, it's, it's, all, it's all making sense. It's all making sense. And, 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 and this guy from the church said, well, why haven't you made a decision then to follow Jesus? Why haven't you done it yet? Anyway, he woke up in the morning and it made sense to him. It suddenly had come alive to him. He'd gone to he'd gone to bed, not make, you know, as it were, having heard it all, but but not got to that point. He woke up in the morning, and he was ready to make a decision to follow Jesus. So he prayed with his wife, gave his life to following Christ, and um, uh, even on Sundays he's saying it. It's different now to how it was before. I'm not turning up questioning everything or looking at why we're doing it. Um, it's, it's as though there is life there. And I just love that whole illustration of the dandelion seeds. Where they land, they have life in themselves. When it comes to the gospel and when it comes to Bex Hill, it isn't on us to persuade people. We, we open up our hearts. We demonstrate the gospel with how we live. Um, we, 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 we might tell stories of what God's doing. We might explain what it says in the Bible. But in the end, our best efforts will accomplish no fruit if God does not breathe upon it and breathe life. And it's just brilliant. I am looking forward to hearing dozens of stories from Bex Hill where God comes and breathes life into dead souls, and, and those that are not come to life. Um, we're not talking about mission. I don't know if you've done that in one of the other sessions. Um, we're going to be looking at care for the poor. And uh, the first time I was with you, I, I spoke about our desire to grow healthy church in order to reach Bexhill and 1066 country with the kingdom of God. We want to see it expand. We want to see lives change. We want to see lives transformed. And we look at what does healthy church look like? What, what is in the DNA of healthy church if we're going to accomplish that goal that we feel God has given us? And we said we want to be a disciple-making community. We want to be a missional community. And the third thing is we want to be a community that cares for the poor. And so what I want to do this evening is give you just three biblical planks, why that is so important to us, and then two application points that we can go away, think about, and pray for. One of the application points is for us corporately, for us as a community of people. The other application is for you individually. What are you going to do about it? But before we get there, I want to unpack... Um, uh, these three um, biblical planks that we are growing, um, we want to build upon. I think, 
before I do that, I just want to say one of the most profound preaches that I can remember was delivered by um, an, a pastor from South Africa called Simon Pettit. And the title of that preach was Remember the Poor. And it is a message that has shaped um, our church in some ways, but the family of churches that we are part of, New Frontiers. And so what I'm speaking on today is very much part of our DNA, probably over the last 20 years or so. But probably we are seeing the good of it and the fruit of it even more now over the last two or three years than we maybe did in the first 10 or 15 years put together. Let me just pray um, and then we'll go. Lord, I ask you, I don't just want to impart information this evening. I pray for revelation. I pray you'd open our hearts. You'd challenge our mindsets. I pray, Lord, that your word would have full effect. Oh, Lord, I pray for that. We thank you, Lord. It isn't just about ideas. It's about you moving. And I pray, Lord God, as we just said, Lord, Lord, we give you our hearts. Okay, Lord, well, I pray as we look at this whole subject of care for the poor. Lord, nearly everyone, if not everyone in this room has said, Lord, we give you our hearts. So I pray, Lord, would you come and have your way um, as I preach this word this evening. I pray it would have full effect. I pray the seed of your truth would be planted deep in our hearts and would bear 30, 60 or even a hundredfold what we're saying. Lord, we ask for that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So there's three planks in the Bible that I see when it comes to care for the poor. Three things we can look at that give us confidence that when it comes to caring for the poor, we as a community of people, we as a venue of King's Church should give ourselves to it. The first one is when we look at the nation of Israel. So when you look at the nation of Israel and in the Old Testament, we find a number of different things when it comes to caring for the poor and caring for the disadvantaged. Now, you may find the Old Testament a little bit boring. You may prefer reading the Gospels or, or the Book of Acts where there's you know, quite a lot of stuff going on. The Book of Leviticus might not be your first port of call when you're thinking, I'm feeling a bit sleepy this morning, where do I open my Bible? Um, but there's a whole load of really good stuff in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and different places um, like that. And what we find is God's heart revealed about a whole number of different issues in particular, or one particular area, is care for the poor. And within the Old Testament law, there are a number of provisions that look to care for the poor and the oppressed. Let me just highlight some of them to you. So in Deuteronomy 4, it talks about employers paying wages, wages on time to their employees. So God cares about that. He wants to make sure that employees get their money when they should have it. He talks about loans that are given to fellow Israelites not being charged with interest on them. No exorbitant interest, no um, Wonga or whatever the different loan companies are that, that charge thousands of percent interest. And it's the interest that cripples, not just the debt. He told farmers not to glean right to the edges of the fields, but to leave leave grain round the edges wide so that the poor and the oppressed can go 
and collect grain and feed their families if they've got no other way of doing it. Would it be difficult work? Would they have to work really hard to find the grain? Yes, they would, but they would find it if they looked for it. In Exodus 22, they were told not to oppress or wrong migrants that were living among them. So if people from other nations that came and moved into Israel, they were not to be oppressed, they were not to be taken advantage of, they were to be cared for. Really apt, isn't it, for the day we're living in here and now. In Deuteronomy 15, debts were to be cancelled every seven years. So debts were just to be cancelled. Every 50 years, leased land was to be returned to the original owner. And slaves were to, were to be set free every year of Jubilee. That's in Leviticus 25. So we find that inbuilt in to the law, which admittedly is not the most interesting thing to read, we find God's heart for the poor revealed. It's there. It's like a foundation. This is how Israel, when it was running well, should be governed, should be led. This is how the people should look after one another. But we don't just find it there. Plank number two, we find, is in Jesus' ministry. So in the Old Testament, we see it very clearly. We also find it in Jesus' ministry. We find that Jesus identified with the poor in his incarnation. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But in his incarnation, Jesus identified with the poor. He was born in a stable, not a five-star hotel. He was a refugee in Egypt. I don't know if you've ever thought of it like that. He grew up in Galilee, which I think was a bit of a backwater, and he died as a criminal on the cross. So just in his life, at key different moments, it's interesting how Jesus identified with the poor. A few other things. When he crossed the Sea of Galilee, it was in a borrowed boat. When he entered Jerusalem, it was on a borrowed donkey. And when he was buried, it was in a borrowed tomb. Jesus feeds the hungry, releases the oppressed, and he heals the outcast. And when you look at Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, when Jesus, this is like his mandate, this is what he was about. Just, I'll read these words to you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So right within the mandate at the very beginning, we see Jesus weaving his ministry and care for the poor right in the middle of it. But what we find in Isaiah 61, as we read through, is not that the poor are to remain poor, but they are to become oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. We are looking to see lives changed and transformed, helped in practical ways, helped in spiritual ways, bringing transformation so that people don't remain as they are, but they're able to serve others and bring glory to God in how they live. Jesus associated with the poor, ministered to the poor. The kingdom of God was good news to the poor. And then the, la the third foundational plank 
that we find in the Bible when it comes to caring for the poor is what the early church looked like itself. We see in Galatians chapter 2 when Barnabas and Paul were meeting with the apostles in Jerusalem, care for the poor was foundational. So in Galatians 2 verse 10, Paul recounts later, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. So caring for the poor is linked with apostolic mission. So what we're looking to do here is plant a community of believers that can reach people who don't know Jesus with the power of the gospel. Actually, for it to be truly apostolic in what we're doing, care for the poor needs to be in the very heart of it, like it was in the heart of the early church. It it was a key foundational thing. It was already... It was an already established priority for the church in Jerusalem. The apostles Peter, James and John already had it in their DNA and they were really keen that when the apostle Paul was starting churches in Turkey, then goes on to start them in Greece, then goes on to Rome and Italy, that care for the poor would be in its DNA as well. Yes, preaching the gospel. Yes, making disciples. Yes, the use of spiritual gifts. Yes, fellowship and care for one another. And all sorts of different things going on. But actually, at its heart, don't forget the poor. Don't forget the poor. When you plant churches, don't forget the poor. Make, that, make sure that is there in the DNA. In Acts 2.45, we find um, care for the poor at the very beginning in the church at Jerusalem. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I mean, powerful. I'm I'm sure you're very familiar with these words. But, you know, you read it and you think, wow, what what provoking quality of life they had together. Later in Acts 4, it wasn't just a one-off. Do you know what I mean? They didn't just do it once. But in Acts chapter 4, verses 34 and 35, uh, something very similar is going on. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. So we find the poor within the church um, massively cared for as well. And then as we move on to Acts chapter 6 verses 1 to 7, we find a very provoking passage. I love this passage because it describes the early church not going very well. You know, it gives me encouragement. Not everything was perfect. If you have this view of revival and and, and sort of early church has been, everything was just seamless, it was smooth running, everyone just loved each other, they floated about two inches off the ground, everything was just absolutely incredible. Well, Acts chapter 6, actually Acts chapter 5 is also a bit of a a wake-up call as well with Ananias and Sapphira, but we won't go there. But Acts chapter 6 is also really provoking because there is a complaint against the apostles that widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So so they were caring for the poor and the poorest and the neediest among them. They were providing daily food for those that didn't have anywhere else to go, but some were being overlooked in that daily distribution. The apostles were involved in it. But when it started going wrong, it it caused problems. But it's interesting that when they came up with a solution, the apostle says it would not be right for us 
to wait on table. So we're going to find some men we can delegate this to. But it's something they carried in their hearts. It's something that was important to them. They came up with a solution to the problem. They didn't just say, oh, it's not really that important. This was something that they needed to deal with. So what they did was they looked for some high-quality men. Description, they were full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. It's not bad, is it? How would people describe you? What are you full of? Don't need to answer. But these men were full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And they were entrusted with the daily distribution of food to these widows. And these men went on to do some amazing things. Philip was martyred. Wouldn't pick that job description myself, but he went on. He was martyred. Um, no, Stephen went on and was martyred. So Philip went down to Samaria, preached the gospel, saw miraculous, saw church planted, some incredible stuff. These were high quality guys. So we see in the early church that care for the poor was right there in the beginning. It was in the DNA. Now there can be a danger that churches get so caught up with caring for the poor that they stop preaching the gospel. We're not going to do that. We're going to preach the gospel in its full extent and we're going to demonstrate love by caring for the poor. Early church, both things happened at the same time in parallel. They both overlap in many ways and that's what we will do. That is what we will be looking to do. So we see three clear biblical foundations when it comes to care for the poor. How should we respond? Well, first I think there is a corporate response as I've already said. King's Church Bexhill needs to respond. Now, it may not be right at the very now. It might not be very right. It might not be right now. But as a leadership, we need to work out what is an appropriate response, corporate response, for King's Church Bexhill when it comes to caring for the poor. If we're going to see Bexhill and 1066 Country transformed by the gospel, we need to remember the poor. We're not a church that's only looking to reach middle class people. We want to reach everyone. Simon Pettit said this. It's a quote from this preacher from 1998. We need to get an understanding that when we care for the needy, preach good news to the poor, seek to develop the God-given creativity of poor people, equip people with skills to make godly choices for them and their families, with financial help promote enterprise, that's part of the apostolic calling of the church of Jesus Christ. That's what we should be doing. The gospel is good news to the poor. And as the kingdom of God advances, it impacts people at multiple levels. And we need to be involved in seeing that happen. King's Church, let me give you some of the ways we are already involved in caring for the poor. We provide people with work experience placements at the Hastings Centre. We run a food bank. We're providing employment. As a church, we run, run relief, a relief fund. We have a charity of the year every year. We're involved in anti-trafficking work. Um, we run Play Plus in Central St. Leonard's. Um, we have run a parenting course that social services referred people to. Um, we run a marriage course. We have Friends International Community Group. We run TLG, which is an education project. We run free, free dance classes called Move. We have Link Lunch, which is one of the best projects we've ever run. 
and his absolute phenomenal blessing, which is a luncheon club once a month um, for um, the elderly. We are working in partnership with others in the community. So we are partnering with Snowflake Night Shelter. Um, we have people from the church who are part of Ashburnham um, running the employability scheme. Um, and even I understand the building we are in today is a, is a um, project that wants to be used to serve the community, but I think also serve the poor. So this is where we are right now. I think that's the, the understanding of, of, of this building. For Kingsbex Hill, we don't want to necessarily just be involved with everything going on. We want to find out what God is calling us to and make a real difference corporately. So I know there's a whole load of stuff going on in Bex Hill, which is brilliant. And our ambition won't be to be involved in every project. We need to seek God and find out where we can make a difference. Where is there a gap we can plug? Who can we partner with in different ways? So we need to be wise in where we put our finance, where we put our energy and our resource. But we need to find the right things to get involved with and look to make a difference. But the second response, I think in some ways is more challenging. Because there is a danger... And I've said this, I, I can, I think, sometimes be a little bit provocative in what I say. Um, I don't always think I know how provocative I'm being till after and then think, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But maybe that's how God's designed me, so I say the things otherwise I'd shy away from. We, we run a food bank. And I have challenged the church that we mustn't, that 80% of the church mustn't be pleased that 20% of the church are running it. Do you get what I'm saying by that? And there's a danger of that in any part of church life, that we together are really pleased that King's Church cares for the poor, although I personally do not want to be involved. I, I don't think we get an option. I believe in a gospel that so penetrates our lives that it affects every aspect, including our perspective and our view of the poor, the disadvantaged, and those who are different from us. How do you respond when you see poverty? When you see oppression, financial need, hunger, exploitation, what is your response? What's going on in your heart? What goes on in your mind? Is your first response compassion or judgment? When you watch the news and you see stuff going on, because the media doesn't always portray things as they are. Do not allow your perspective of certain situations to be shaped purely by the media. You need to be shaped by the Bible. What the Bible says about these things. And the human heart has the ability, even a Christian's heart has an ability to see real pain and brokenness. And rather than responding with compassion, we respond in either judgment or indifference. Just after the attacks in Paris, the terrorist attacks in Paris, I was travelling through um, uh, uh, the, the Eurotunnel. Actually, with Steve, as it happens. And in the car in front of us was a family of Middle Eastern dis, uh, dis, descent, is origin, origin. And we, we, we pulled up in our car. We got out with our Burger King meals, which we'd grabbed on the way through. Um, they got out of their car, 
and it was, must have been three generations, um, and they're Afghani family, because we, I'll tell you how we know that later. And if I'm honest, it was probably a week after the Paris attacks, my first response was one of a little bit fear, if I'm honest, a bit of trepidation. We got out of our car and we were just chatting among ourselves, eating our burgers and things like that. They got out of their car and they got out their rice and their lamb and their vegetables and they started eating and chatting. And then they looked over and they said, um, would you like any? To which we responded, yeah, we'd, we'd love some. And we, we, had, we had an amazing 20-minute what was left of our journey going over on Eurotunnel with this amazing family who I think probably were Muslims but acted in a much more Christian way than we did. They had something to share. They were willing to break down some barriers. I bet they felt really awkward on the back of the Paris attacks. Three guys getting out of the car behind them. I think think some of this stuff runs deep, you know? How do we respond in different situations with people who are different from us? God is calling us to generosity, not just financial, but with our time, with our compassion, with our emotions. Generosity can be expressed in a whole number of ways. Are we just so busy? about what we are doing, that we don't have time for the person in front of us. We don't have time to express love and care for that person that's walking across our path. Let's not be shaped by the media, whether it's the TV we watch, the newspaper we read. In election season, even the political party we are affiliated to, they're not the things we get shaped by. They're secondary. I'm not saying chuck it all out, but being shaped and provoked by what the word of God says. And the reality is some people will take advantage of you. They will. But that shouldn't stop us expressing love again and again. We need to mix it with wisdom. But we express love again and again. What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 6? But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From the one who takes your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you and the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Really simple words. God, provoking though, aren't they? If you just let it, read that tomorrow morning in your quiet time. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. See where he takes you. God has called us as a church to care for the poor. It's one of the key things that we're building kings on. Making disciples, going on mission, care for the poor. There is a strong biblical reasoning behind it. We have a corporate responsibility 
but we also have personal responsibility too. Personal response. Is it all right if I pray, Steve, and then I hand back to you? Is that okay? Why don't we stand? Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, we, we, we say together, Lord, we give you our hearts to follow you. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, would you take the words that I have spoken and uh, would you cause the right seed to grow in our hearts? I pray, Lord, it would be good seed, Lord, that would produce fruit. I ask you, Lord God, that the enemy would not snatch it away before it's landed. I pray the distraction of whether it's uh, activities that we're running after or the busyness of time wouldn't choke the life out of it. I pray past pain, maybe even where we've, we've been um, taken advantage of, where we've been burnt in this area. Lord, I pray even now that we know something of your healing power just released upon us. And Lord, I pray that that past would not shape how we live the future. I pray you'd set us free from that, if that is the case. Lord, I ask for us as a church, as a venue, Lord, that we would really reflect your heart to every segment of this community. From the very richest to the very poorest, I pray we'd love people really well. I ask you we'd be particularly good at loving people different from us. Again, whether they're rich or whether they're poor. Lord, we'd be so good at expressing love and care and concern. Lord, would you be with us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you, Holy Spirit, settle upon us and do your work, we pray. Amen.